0: Hi, everyone. This is Christy Hemingway, your host at the Ed Curation Podcast. We're starting something new in 2022, because aren't we all ready for something new? So as a gift to you, our listeners, we want to introduce you to some of our friends in the education podcasting space. We will occasionally be airing bonus episodes to help you learn about other great shows and content that we like, and we think you will, too. Today, we're airing an episode from our friend Steve Maletto, the host of the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast. Steve has served as a teacher and administrator and was George's Principal of the Year in 2012. We thought you'd enjoy his conversation with Urshad Manji. So here's Steve to tell you more. (laughs) You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now, here's Steve with this week's show.
1: The recipient of Oprah's first Chutzpah Award for Boldness, Irshad Manji, is the founder of Moral Courage ED, a professor for more than 15 years. She now teaches at Oxford University's Initiative for Global Ethics and Human Rights. Earshot is a New York Times bestselling author, most recently of Don't Label Me, How to Do Diversity Without Inflaming the Culture Wars. Banji is a globally acclaimed educator, author, and speaker. She serves as director of Moral Courage ED at Let Grow, a nonprofit that promotes independent thinking and emotional resilience in students. Its signature program for secondary school students and their teachers is Moral Courage ED, which empowers students to hear, not fear, different perspectives. Besides bringing the Moral Courage method to schools, Irshad customized it for universities and businesses. So glad to have you on board today, Irshad. Thanks for joining me and say hi to everyone.
2: Hi, everyone. And great to be with you, Dr. Moletto. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Well, glad you're here. And uh, thanks for joining me. And i uh, got lots to ask you. But before we get into Moral Courage, can we talk about the, the I, I guess, kind of calling it a parent program? Can you tell us a little bit about Let it, Let Grow?
2: Yeah, sure. So actually what might be interesting for your uh, listeners is to, um, hear how I came to join let grow. So a couple of years ago, you know, um, The people who founded uh, this nonprofit called Let Grow, they reached out to me to say, you know, we've got uh, the programming we need for uh, kids who are in kindergarten all the way up to the seventh grade. But what we don't yet have is uh, middle and high school programming. And we've just read your book, Don't Label Me, and it's pretty provocative, and it's very respectful of how smart young people are today. We think that this is the program that we'd like to introduce. And so uh, over the year that became the pandemic year, of course, in 2019, we did not know that would be the case. But the pandemic, for all of its many downsides, um, actually forced me to get my butt in a chair and finish up a Uh, An online course that I had been producing for five years. And with the help of Let Grow, we finally released it just a couple of months ago. And that is a professional development course for teachers and educators of all kinds. And it's called Diversity Without Division Introducing Educators to the Moral Courage Method. So you can see that Let Grow, which, uh, as you pointed out, uh, uh, you know, really uh, promotes independent thinking and emotional resilience in young people. Uh, they are presenting Moral Courage Ed, the program that I founded. And within that program, we have all kinds of professional development resources. Um, and one of them is this brand new course that I hope uh, a lot of your listeners will check out.
1: Excellent, and um, and actually, I I want to make sure I we'll come back to the course because I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about that course. But that's cool. I appreciate you telling us about that. You know, uh, let's kind of go into m- more moral courage, um, Ed. And you know, on the homepage of uh, the website, this is noted. So I'm pulling this out. <laughs> Nothing like just grabbing something and I, so. That's what I've done.
2: Um, (laughs) Well, nice that you've credited it, though. Very good. (laughs) Thanks. Uh,
1: Society is increasingly diverse and polarized at the same time. Now more than ever, secondary school students need tools to resist the lure of an us-against-them mindset. Can you talk about this statement in context with the mission of Moral Courage?
2: Yeah, so, you know, Moral Courage Ed's mission is uh, to empower students, and I will add their educators, to empower students and educators to hear, not fear different perspectives. And the reason that is both unique and necessary today is that all around the world, not just here in the United States, but all around the world, uh, a growing paradigm in which we are pitting us against them uh, is taking hold. And uh, some people call that tribalism, Uh, other people call that populism, whatever the label you give it. um, Very nuanced and complex issues are being reduced increasingly to uh, one side or the other. And obviously that squelches the best part of education, which is to explore those ideas and opinions and uh, insights that can't readily be captured by uh, a hard stance on one or another side. So um, this is why we emphasize perspectives and not merely uh, demographics when we um, talk about about and practice diversity under the banner of moral courage, Ed.
1: I got to make sure, and I appreciate you talking about this, because this is is fascinating also because, you know, some things just right off the bat um, stick out as uh, this is so cool that you're addressing this. And uh, um, by the way, I'm getting a feeling that I totally understand uh, how you went about earning that award um, (laughs) from (laughs) Oprah. So, um, because you're taking some things on that a lot of people would not take on nor want to to say actually exists, which is and this is where I got to go next, because, you know, we're going to come back to this because we're going to talk about uh, your moral courage method. But in that section, there's a there's a part there where you talk about um, you have the four parts and you talk about uh, online savvy, about the need for kids to be online Mm -hmm. savvy. And Mm -hmm. this is said when you hover over that part on the website, Social media is designed to hijack our emotions. And I was wondering, this kind of fits really well with what you just yeah. you know, were talking yeah. about. You-
2: well, and and Dr. Mileto, that's one of the reasons that us against them is so prevalent today. I'm not going to chalk it all up to social media, but let's be fair. Right. It, there's a huge part of the problem that, um, you know, comes from operating in 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 bubbles and on platforms that are deliberately designed to up our emotions. Um, And it, you know, it it slays me when not just kids, but adults allow themselves to be manipulated, you know, by by tech companies that know exactly what they're doing when they hire engineers and designers um, to, you know, ensure that you stay on their platforms by riling you up. And to be blunt, you know, the very best way to not be their pawns um, is to not spend so much time on these platforms. But I know that is not going to happen. So here's the alternative, and this is why uh, the Moral Courage Method um, is so useful. We actually teach both uh, educators and students how to engage on social media so that you can stand your ground, so no one's asking you to compromise your values or, you know, your principles or even your identity. You can still stand your ground, and here's the key, you can seek common ground at the same time. How? Sounds like a, uh, like a contradiction, I know, but all it is is a paradox, and it can be unpacked this way. Standing your ground is about what you believe. Seeking common ground is about how you express what you believe. And if you can leave the other, the person who disagrees with you, feeling respected, you've actually brought down their emotional defenses. So now they've got more bandwidth in their head to hear where you're coming from, and they've got the incentive to do so because you have led by listening. You have heard where they're coming from. You, you, you've shown them that you actually care what they think and why they think that. And as a result, they're much more likely. And this is what neuroscience says, and certainly my own experience has lived this out. Now, now they're much more likely to hear where you're coming from. So again, this is none of this is about being nice for the sake of nice. To be honest, it's not even about being civil for the sake of civility. The moral courage method is about becoming a much more effective communicator of your own point of view. And by the way, somewhere along the way, you're going to find out that you've got so much more to learn from people who you might otherwise dismiss.
1: I love that. I mean, this is, um, you know, it's something that and it's hard to explain to people because we have so many different reasons why people choose not to want to be with people <laughs> and uh, or like or be around or, you know, whatever happens. I mean, there's just so many different uh, things that cause different issues. And, you know, and the social media just so ramps that up. And you know, like you said, once again, I'm a user of social media, but I have learned that there are certain things that I'm definitely not going to get hit by a car because I'm not going to be walking around just looking at my phone wherever I'm crossing the street or whatever. But. You know, some people are so engaged in it and kids have learned that, that it becomes such a, you know, I've been, I've been in restaurants where it's, it's kind of sad when you look at the table next mm-hmm. to you and, uh, the entire family, I mean, is, yep. is on their phones and it's like, dude, can we not, somebody talk to each other? You know, I'll talk to you if you want to. <laughs> and, and, uh, and unfortunately they, by being so in sucked into that world, it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it, it's so easy then to just kind of flip between the topics, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just going to respectfully uh, challenge one word that you used in what you've just said. And that word is engaged. Actually, if we were engaged in social media and by social media, we would be communicating with one another. Instead, the vast majority of the time we are enraged rather than engaged. So let's not be fooled by the social media lingo of engagement. Sounds great, but it's a misnomer. And this is why, again, I think we all need to be much more self-aware that instead of walking into these spaces, uh, these echo chambers, ready to be um, you know, uh, uh, taken advantage of by the army, of engineers and designers that tech companies hire. Let's actually outwit the tech companies. And we can do that even when we use their products. We can do that by being mindful and aware of how we are engaging rather than merely uh, what we're hurling at one another.
1: I think that's so powerful. And I mean, I think you could spend, I mean, we, we could spend just, f- focused on just that alone um helping young people learn that and not just lo- young people uh, oh my exactly. gosh exactly <laughs> that's
2: just what i was going to say right like we've got a role model that you know for not just our children but for our students as well i think this would make a fascinating conversation like an in class conversation between a teacher and students is you know what do you spend uh most of your time on social talking about um Another question would be: um, What makes you stop in your tracks when you come across it on social media? Um, what do you What do you actually take the time to share with your followers? Uh, why do you think you are so passionate? Whether that is positively or negatively passionate about the particular issue that makes you want to share on social media? In other words. Let's use the reality of social media to um, help young people become aware of who they are and not what they are, meaning not just the labels that they put on set on themselves and other people, but actually what their values and principles are. We, we, it doesn't have to be a false choice between either you get sucked into social media or you engage in reflection. No, the, you know the either or paradigm suffocates possibilities. Let's accept the world in which we live and then use that reality to open up new and deeper conversations about what it all means
1: that's so awesome. I mean, cause that's just, cause one of the things that happens, like, you know, I talk to, uh, like my sons, for example, they're in their twenties and, uh, they, they use, they're constantly using all the different devices. Well, I use devices. I love YouTube, but I don't use it to communicate or get my news from, I use it to, uh, for the different tools that it has for me to, right. to learn from others or share more. I, all the time I'm like, you know, someone's come up with an idea Has a problem. They're trying to figure out something. I say, well, did you go to YouTube to figure out? Cause I'll, I'll bet there's somebody there who's already figured this out and you can, mm-hmm. and they'll go, oh, oh, I didn't think about that. Or they'll go, you know, my kids always go, dad, if you tell me YouTube one more time, and, <laughs> you know, um, but I see it as this, this tool. And a lot of times, you know, they look at me right. like, yeah, yeah, you're old. All right. And so that's how you would use it. Right. And, and it's the same thing with, you know, like other things, whether it's Twitter or whether it's, uh, Instagram or, or, uh, yeah, I kind of avoid Facebook, but you know, it's kind of done there. But uh, although that in itself, I think it's kind of neat that uh, there's people that uh, I lost track with a long time ago who reached out and kind of found me through that. And it's like, uh, but you know, at the same time, I kind of see it that way. as just this tool. And, you know, and so I've gotten used to people telling me lots well, because you're a different generation and I go, well, at least I'm using stuff. I mean, I, <laughs>
2: Yeah, don't let them shame you, Doctor Mileto, into <laughs> you know being wiser than they are. Okay.
1: Thanks. I because then I because then I always throw at them. By the way, I can say so. Do you have a podcast?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Anyway,
1: that's that's how to get my sons to be quiet. Because I start talking about that, they roll their eyes and walk away. So
2: <laughs> careful, they might launch a podcast about their dad. That's true.
1: That's true. Dad. So that, that, let's let's get. If they're listening, no, no thoughts there, no no ideas. All right.
2: <laughs> um, so, so real
1: quick, I kind of jumped right into this, but can we back up and can you talk a little sure. bit about what your role is in, because you're the founder and director of, of yeah. Moral Courage. Uh, Ed, can you talk about your role in it?
2: Yeah, so um, I have been teaching Moral Courage for over 15 years. Uh, first at the university level, I started as a professor at NYU uh, and then moved to the University of Southern California and um and then actually moved to Hawaii to begin working uh with middle and high schools. And um, and now by the way, I live in Brooklyn, New York. So, you know, fortunately I can actually get many more flights out while we're still able to travel uh than I could have when I was living just outside of Honolulu. But that said, um, I, I came to this work really through a deeply personal journey. Uh, this may sound weird, but bear with me. Almost 20 years ago, right, 9-11 happened. And very shortly after 9-11, I uh, came out with my first book. It was called The Trouble with Islam Today, A Muslim's Call for Reform in Her Faith. So I was and remain uh, within the faith of Islam, I'm I'm I haven't abandoned it, I haven't left it, uh, but precisely because I pay attention to what happens in the name of our universal Creator, uh, I had issues back then, and of course, still today, with many of the practices. Uh, that are uh, conducted in the name of my religion. And so I spoke up about that and and, and you know published this book that uh, took me on a 10-year uh, global tour uh, to engage with audiences um, of all kinds. And during that time, a number of people approached me to say, hey, have you ever heard of this leadership tradition called moral courage? Because I think that's what you're practicing. And the more I looked into it, the phrase that jumped out at me was speaking truth to power. Here's the problem with that phrase, though. Um, it, it suggests that, first of all, there's only one truth worth listening to, namely your truth. And the reality is that even if I'm looking at the same scripture uh, as, say, a more traditional believer does, we would still come out with different interpretations of that scripture. So even when they're working with the same facts, different people have different understandings of the facts and therefore have different truths that come out of those facts. Now, fast forward to today, where many of us aren't even working with the same facts as each other. So you can understand why um, trying to, uh, you know, comprehend and empathize with where somebody else is coming from is that much more necessary, right? So that's the first problem with the phrase, speak truth to power. The second problem is the word power. It suggests that since I'm the one speaking truth to it, power must exist outside of myself. It must you know, be only in the, you know, the, the corporate CEO, the tech titan, the police officer, the protesters, uh, the teacher, the professor, the community leader, my parents. In other words, it's everybody but me. I have no power. And the reality, especially from a neuroscientific perspective, is that is just not true. Every single one of us is born with a brain. And there is a primitive part of that brain that gives rise to what is called the ego. Now, I don't mean this word in a mystical or self helpy way. The ego is the biological function. Of the brain that exists to keep us alive, you mentioned just moments ago that you're pretty sure you're not going to get run over, right, when you're crossing an intersection because you're not, you know, staring into your into your screen. Thank goodness for that. But if by some slip you did uh, stare into your screen just as a truck was about to run you over, your ego would be screaming at you stop or 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 flee or freeze. So the ego in moments of mortal danger is our best friend. But most of the time we are not in such moments and it's in those times the times of mere discomfort that the ego becomes an overprotective parent. It tries to dissuade us from taking reasonable risks because it can't distinguish between mortal danger and mere discomfort. And so what ultimately I'm pointing out is that there is a power inside each of us, specifically inside of our brains, that manipulates us into becoming more defensive and more dogmatic than we even mean to be. And that is the ego saying to us, "You should be stressed out right now, simply because somebody is disagreeing with my point of view." Right? So that's you know, in a nutshell, why we uh, could use something like the moral courage method of communicating. It um, it reminds us to speak truth to the power of the ego, even as we are speaking our truths to powers outside of us. And when we can balance those two things, recognizing that the ego is a power, my ego is a power, and that somebody else has a power too, when we can recognize this, we'll remember that how we communicate, i.e. not dogmatically, but rather uh, calmly, uh, compassionately, uh, empathetically, will mean the difference between being heard and being flicked away by the person whom we're trying to influence.
1: First of all, I got to tell you, I wish I'd known you a bunch of years ago. (laughs) (laughs) You could give me some great advice uh, uh, because basically in, in the roles that I've played in the past after teacher, you yep. become an administrator. This is what I mean. When you become an administrator in a school and you have to deal with discipline situations. And a lot of times what happens is that you're going to have some sort of and right now, I'm particularly talking about parent to administrator discussions sure. that should be a discussion <laughs> about yeah. how can we work together to deal with what happened but yes. instead a lot of times what happens is that the person believes you're not going to listen to them so they come in now this is this is me speaking after i've learned this lesson okay
2: right, <laughs> um, right
1: because before that i was known as you know i was the discipline i was the i was meant to be the guy who enforced the rules. All right, I'm the yeah, enforcer. The hammer. I'm the yeah. hammer. I'm the and that's what the school wanted was somebody to play like that because I went to places to to kind of change environments and and uh, so I played that role very well and out of out of that I learned that if you come at me with fire I come back at you with fire fire with fire
2: precisely
1: and and so you know there's going to be no win in that which is what I learned is that that's is this really what I want to do yes I want to have this reputation that <laughs> you're going to have a tough time dealing with me. But then I realized that's not really what the point is, and it came out of a discussion where I I realized that, and this it, it it I started learning it as an assistant principal, but as a principal, I really learned this. And I and I'm sorry for this long story. Just wanted to get to this point, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a parent came in one day and they're just yelling, they're just angry off the bat. They're yelling, and and I even remember what it was all about. I mean, they didn't like it because I was supporting the assistant principal's decision for the the. Uh, consequences for the actions of their child. Mm-hmm. But we needed to talk about, so this doesn't happen again type of thing. And, and as a parent myself, I'd be a little upset. Well, the parent came in and was just blah, 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 blah. And I'm, and I went, my brain suddenly clicked on and went, you know, if they're this upset, there's a reason why. And the reason why is that they don't think I'm going to listen to them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> which means they hadn't been listening to other parents because I did listen. And right. And it just, all of a sudden, that fire versus fire thing went totally out the window. And I was just wondering how and, you kind of... And
2: and, and, it, and it takes on a life of its own, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and it spins out of control. And the best way, therefore, to deal with those vicious cycles of us against them is to not plant that seed in the first place. And by the way, I completely understand if any listener is saying to him or herself, yeah, but earshot." Steve just said he didn't plant that seed, the parent did. And I and I hear that. Yet there's a way of responding, not reacting. Big difference between reacting and responding. There's a way of responding to that parent that actually lowers their emotional defenses so that um, you know, you're understanding why they feel the way they do. And remember the word feel most of the time it's about emotion. It's not about reason, but emotion matters, right? Our brains, our human brains think emotionally before we think rationally. So, you know, think twice, literally first think, then think twice, folks, before, uh, you know, uh, just throwing out the window somebody's emotions. Emotions count to decision making. The question is can we, and the answer is yes, get people to move from pure emotion to that part of their brain where emotion and reason coexist? And that's what the moral courage method allows anybody to do, not just adults, not just administrators but also young people. Let me just add one other thing here because it is so timely um, and your, you know, um, example of, um, of feisty parents uh, br- brings this up in my mind. I have spoken very recently with um, principals and heads of school who complain that in this whole debate around critical race theory, many, many parents are just, you know, completely ignorant of what is actually being taught in schools. And I say to those principals and heads of school, why do you think they believe that they need to be strident with you? Oh, comes the answer, because they're ignorant. And I say, nice assumption. But not only is it wrong because you're generalizing, but also it's not helpful because if you believe somebody is ignorant then you naturally believe you have nothing to learn from them and you've just painted yourself into a corner. No, the reason they come at you guns a blazing is that you haven't listened to them in the first place when they began asking questions about, well, what is being taught? And I assure you, Dr. Maletto, that all across this country a lot of um, educational administrators have been so afraid to even have the conversation with parents about what is being taught by way of diversity, equity, and inclusion that they haven't responded to a lot of parents' emails, phone calls, and by not engaging, they have allowed the walls of suspicion to rise. Yeah. And when the walls of suspicion rise, it means there is distrust. And to uh, therefore assume that it's because of other people's ignorance that they distrust me is to fail to engage in the very introspection that education is about in the first place. No, ask yourselves what have I done? And in some cases, not done, i.e., communicate. What have I done to contribute? to the us against them dynamic that now I'm having to try to undo. Don't just blame it on others. Ask yourself, what have I contributed to it? Because once you can identify that piece, you can then communicate in a very different way. And uh, without that humility, um, you're actually giving education uh you're doing it a huge disservice let's put it that way
1: that's that's what you just talked about is so amazing because it is something that you have to be willing to learn and recognize because you know like i I've, I've been on either side of the table and it doesn't yep. matter what situation we're talking about where you when it dawns on you that someone's not listening you know then then you have to decide and am i going am i making matters worse <laughs> or better by being adamant that and it's not going to go anywhere and
2: right right and and i have to emphasize you know listening to somebody else does not have to mean agreeing with them right this don't, let's not conflate the two listening means asking sincere not judgmental questions it means Uh, wanting to understand not to win. It means asking more questions based uh, in curiosity. For example, here's a phrase, a three-word phrase that research tells us is very effective in opening up lines of communication. And that three-word phrase is, tell me more. Just tell me more, right? Not, well, why do you believe that? Or how could you possibly interpret it that way? No, that, that can come off as accusatory, even if you mean it sincerely. Tell me more. There's a tip right there to um, lower the temperature.
1: Oh, that's huge. I mean, because that's one of the things that, you know, I, I often am working with teachers on classroom management strategies. And one of the things that will happen when a, a kid, <laughs> for whatever reason, they made the choice of whatever they did. Um, well, if you start off the bat going... Why did you do that? Why did you? Well, they may not really know what's going on there. And so all you're going to do is make it worse because the kid, then you put them in the corner and they have to decide whether they choose to uh, um, be embarrassed because they don't know what to say to you or they just respond in anger, which might get them more cred with their their friends. And so, you know, it's just interesting. But adults all do the same thing. And it's of course,
0: and
2: not just in our professional lives, in our personal lives as well. Right. Dare I say how many times have we pre-assigned meanings to our spouse's actions? Oh, you're late for you know dinner because you really don't care about spending time with the family. Uh, no, honey, I'm, I'm late because there was an accident on the way over. Thank goodness I wasn't involved in it, but the traffic was all backed up and I had no juice left in my phone to call you, right? Ask, don't assume. And that's especially the case with kids, because as you point out, they're not always, in fact, they're very rarely going to be aware of, you know, why they did what they did and what emotions were at play when they did do what you are, you know, so upset or frustrated by.
1: You know, it's, it's, this is, this is, are you going to write a book about this, this? I mean, cause this is cool, right? <laughs>
2: well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, the, the book that, uh, whose, whose name you already, uh, cited don't label me how to do diversity without inflaming the culture wars at the very end of the book is a, um, is a chapter that lays out step-by-step how to start and sustain tough conversations, uh, in whatever context. And the reason it, that kind of a chapter belongs in a book about diversity, is that diversity isn't simply about demographics. Diversity includes viewpoints. Um, I'll give you a quick example. You know, I'm a Muslim. Now, does that mean I think like every other Muslim? No. And by the way, every other Muslim does not think like every other Muslim. The point is that When we recognize that there is diversity inside of groups and not just between groups, we now can clear space for people, individuals to express themselves. And in doing so, they bust stereotypes about what it means to be this or that. And that's true not just of Muslims, but of Christians, not just of Christians, but of capitalists, not just of capitalists, but of feminists, not just of feminists, but of white straight guys too, you know? So uh, here's how we can have free speech and social justice at the same time, right? Uh, One of the big problems I think we're all sucked into today is this assumption that you can be one thing, or another, but you can't be both. Or you can have this or that, but you can't have both. And when we practice the moral courage method of communicating, we realize people are so much more complicated than their labels suggest. And that is when we also know that life is replete with possibilities for both and uh truths rather than merely either or truths um how how healthy to be able to recognize that in our marriages and not just you know in our classrooms
1: that's yeah um there's a there's a good question right there Mm -hmm. um you know you got me thinking about all kinds of stuff now and and i i gotta let's can we take a couple steps back and can you explain a little bit about the, uh, the moral courage method yeah. and just explain what it is and what it looks like? Can you do that? Sure.
2: Yep, absolutely. So let's remember what moral courage is, right? Uh, it's not merely speaking truth to power. It's having the guts to speak truth to the power of your own ego as much as to any external power. And that means um, that when we are highly emotional, when we are in situations of uh, awkward tension and even deep division, that we take a breath and we remind our egos that while we respect them, because one day they might save our lives, we are not going to allow to be bullied by them. That our reasonable side will take control of this situation. And so the moral courage method uh, is all about lowering our own emotional defenses in order to lower those defenses um, uh, on the on the part of our other, on the part of those who don't see things in the same way as we do. So you take that deep breath. But then instead of racing into what we disagree about, we first find a point of commonality. Why? Because common ground breeds trust. And it's only when we have trust that we can uh, discuss our differences constructively. Uh, Well, what if you don't know anything about your so-called other, except the fact that you're both disagreeing on something that you care a lot about? You can always say, look, you know, I know that there is so much more to you than what I'm seeing right now. I'm kind of uh, fixated on the disagreement we're having, but that's not what defines you. I get that. You are so much more than that. So I want to be assuring here. I, I promise you that I'm not judging all of who you are based on this disagreement. And in turn, can you agree that you won't judge all of what I am based on this one disagreement? The vast majority of time, that other person is going to breathe a sigh of relief. And after that, you start with the third uh, step in the moral courage method. You ask questions. But this is key. Questions that are sincere, not judgmental. So, for example, can you tell me what I'm missing about where you're coming from? Notice that you've just put yourself in the position of being that other person's student. That's humble. It's actually a power move on your part uh, because right now you're claiming your power to set the culture of the conversation. But in yielding the floor right away and acknowledging that maybe you're missing something, you're effectively saying to that person, Be assured, I'm not here to school you. In fact, I'm willing to be schooled by you. So, can you tell me what I'm missing about where you're coming from? Then comes the fourth step: listen. But this is key: listen to understand, not to win. So often, we turn uh, discussions into debates. And look, you know, debates. There's always a place and a time for debating. I'm not slagging debates. What I'm saying is every discussion need not become an us or them showdown. So keep it healthy, make it a discussion, make it a conversation, not a confrontation. And again, uh, in you know uh, the book and the work that we do at Moral Courage Ed, uh, we teach uh, educators as well as students how to treat it as a discussion and not a debate. And the final step is um, ask one more round of questions. Don't think that, you know, just because I've allowed this person uh, to, to tell me why they believe what they believe that now it's my turn to tell them what I believe. No, you can wait. You know why? Because in this conversation, you have the power and the reason you have the power is not that you're the adult or not that you're the teacher, but that you have set the expectation and the standard for the culture of the conversation. You've created it through your uh, low or no ego approach to it. So now, ironically, you have power. So use it wisely. Assure the other person that you still care about where they're coming from, and ask them one more round of questions, beginning with that tip I gave earlier. Tell me more, and let them tell you more. And only after you have heard them out at least twice can you then invite yourself into the conversation. Hey, do you mind if um if I now tell you where I'm coming from? Uh, thank you so much. You know for for teaching me what what I was missing. I really appreciate it. I've now got context that I didn't have before. Um, Can I give you some context about why I believe what I believe? And the vast majority of the time, because that person feels heard, they'll be more than happy to now yield the floor to you. And on the off chance that they're not willing to yield the floor, no, I actually don't care where you're coming from, Irshad. Thanks for asking, but no. Then you know, right, that they're not in this conversation in good faith. Thank them for their time and move on. Or let them know that when they're ready for this to be a dialogue rather than a monologue, you'll be ready to engage. Right? But you don't have to become frustrated. You don't have to, um, you know, feel uh, swindled. Remember, You've created the culture of the conversation. Live up to that culture. Use your power well. And as I say, uh, you can expect the person to say, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, of course. No, thank you for hearing me out. Uh, over to you. This is um, the kind of, I'm going to call it a Bruce Lee move. And I don't mean this to, to be glib. Actually. It was Bruce Lee, the martial arts master, who taught his own students be like water. And what he meant was water always gets to where it needs to go, but not merely by, uh, you know, crashing up against the rocks. Water glides around the rocks. It washes over the rocks. It seeps through the rocks. So it stays agile. It doesn't become fragile. Right. And his whole point was the more rigid and inflexible and dogmatic you become, whether it's in a martial arts encounter or whether it is in a tense conversation, the more you seize up, the less uh, adaptive you're going to be, the more you will react rather than respond. But the more fluid, the more waterlike you can become, um, the more you can roll with the circumstances in that moment. And by leading in the listening department, you will actually be um, ensuring that your fair hearing is reciprocated by the other's fair hearing of you.
1: This this is an amazing, I mean, this literally is a class in itself about how to, you know, I, I don't mean anything manipulative about this, but how to get what you want (laughs) by by getting control of yourself. And that's right.
2: That's right. And by the way, uh, I love the fact that you point out at the end of the day, you're skyrocketing your chances of getting what you want. This is how I frame it to students. You know, the workshops that I do for students, um, the title of that workshop is um, how to be heard even by people who disagree with you. And one of the first points I make in that workshop is the next time you want something from your parents, surprise them by adopting the moral courage method. You are much more likely to get what you want as a result and watch their ears perk up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that, especially because, yeah, I mean, because a lot of times it's either, it's either I, I want what I want. And I said what I want, therefore you should give me what I want. <laughs> which, yeah,
2: bad logic.
1: That's really bad, bad logic. logic. Yeah. <laughs> or it's, I'm not going to tell you enough of what I really want so that you kind of play 20 questions with me, get frustrated, and hopefully you'll just give in.
2: Right. And, right. And, which, which, you know, leaves a bad taste in people's mouths, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because you're engaging in bad faith. So if you want to create a healthy relationship, or sustain a healthy relationship, or restore a relationship to health, the moral courage method uh, will be uh, extremely helpful.
1: That's awesome yeah, because it, it really is. What, what's it look like um, starting this program? I mean, how does a school go about, or school yeah. system go about um, engage in? There's that word again. I like um, it, you know coming to uh, moral courage. Ed and saying, hey, uh, we'd like to work with you. How how does that work? What does that look like?
2: You literally go to our website, which is moralcourage-ed.org, moralcourage-ed.org. And on that website, apart from some really awesome resources uh, that we offer, there's a tab at the very top called offerings. Click that and see the various activities. That we do with schools, and if you're intrigued by any one of them, there's an inquire button right next to it. Click that, and the rest is self-explanatory. And one of the offerings, though, uh, that I would love to talk a little bit about because it's fresh and new and um, and doing very well with teachers around the country, is our uh, online course. Um, you know, I spent five years producing this darn thing. And were it not for 2020 and, you know, all of us being shut ins, I probably would still be producing it. But uh, we released it a couple of months ago. The online course is a pre-recorded, self-paced, on-demand course called Diversity Without Division, Introducing Educators to the Moral Courage Method. And this allows and equips educators to teach their own students how to engage respectfully um, and confidently with one another. All the more important, of course, given the nastiness of social media, given the anxiety, even depression that a lot of young people feel today because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, they're afraid of offending, they're even afraid of being offended. And how do I deal with that, right? Uh, In a way that doesn't make me fall out with my friends. This course teaches uh, educators how to uh, empower young people with the skills to hear, not fear, different perspectives. And I'll say that one of the coolest pieces or or aspects of the course is what it leads to. Um, For those educators who complete it, they now become eligible to take an advanced leadership module from me in which they get to train as moral courage mentors and become certified by Oxford University. I, uh, I teach in a program at Oxford called the Oxford Initiative for Global Ethics and Human Rights. And this program is the academic partner of Moral Courage Ed. And so starting next year, Oxford University will be accrediting uh, teachers uh, to become Moral Courage mentors so that they not only are qualified to teach this work inside their schools, but they're also qualified to teach it beyond the school campus. Uh, Say you're part of a religious congregation where conflict is not dealt with uh, very well. You now are qualified to teach the moral courage method to fellow congregants. Let's say you're part of a sports team where, for whatever reason, disagreements are leading to bad blood, once again, there's another context in which you can teach the moral courage method as a certified mentor um, and civic movements that any of us are part of, regardless of your politics. These are incredibly rich spaces that can use the moral courage method for savvy activism, how not to berate and shame and humiliate uh, you know, those on the other side of the issue, how to win them over Sincerely, not just strategically, sincerely, so that you're actually learning from them and can therefore frame your own arguments in ways that they can finally hear because now you're speaking to their values, right? There are so many, um, you know, uh, possibilities for how to um, exercise the moral courage method and where to do so. Not the least of those possibilities is your own family. After all, Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up.
1: (laughs) You don't know how funny that is with me. Really? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm always uh, sworn by my wife. And it's like, okay, we've been married for 35 years. And uh, a long time ago in the early days, started before we were married, kind of had some little battles with her sister and her uh, her brother that not together those are things that happen separately, apart right. separately and apart from themselves yeah cuz it would be bad if they teamed up that no that's never going to happen
2: <laughs>
1: but i got control of myself over the years and and but she still makes me promise now when we go to my parents house <laughs> and my sister and my brother are there you must promise not and i'm like okay have you noticed that i've gotten way better
2: <laughs> right right and uh, right. cuz
1: i used to let little things little comments here, there we really get to you yes and I'd have yeah. to respond
2: but can, can, can I can I suggest though Dr. Maletto and I know I'm getting myself in some trouble here by saying this but when you see your wife uh, you know later today let her know that per the moral courage method there is something she could be doing to encourage you to uh, continue in this path of uh, you know of civility and that is to recognize proactively recognize how well you have done over these last several years. You know, and again, right, that's something we human beings fail to do with, with other people because, and again, it comes back to the ego brain, the ego brain operates so that it is constantly scanning for threats. And what that means is we will always fixate on the negative and underestimate the positive when we however go out of our way to pat someone on the back to congratulate them for something that they have done or in your case have continued to do this is such a rare move that it tends to have an outsized impact and so if your wife wants you to continue behaving yourself quote unquote (laughs) she would do well to, uh, voice her recognition that you have been doing well.
1: I appreciate that. That's, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she has, she has made those comments to me cause it's, uh, cause I, cause I do say, you know, have, have we had any, and she, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And, but it's, you know, it is funny because, uh, you know, I can, my, my temper can go from zero to 60 in a heartbeat. Sure, and I've had to learn to, uh, Figure out how to control it. Now, right now, my sons would be rolling their eyes because,
2: <laughs> and they'd be like, earshot. Podcast number two, episode number two is with us. And we're going to tell you what our dad is really like.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
2: Right, right. right.
1: Because, uh, yeah, sports is a whole nother world. Okay, let's just just separate this from.
2: (laughs) I totally gotcha. Yes, we all have our guilty pleasures in which, you know, our emotions uh, run wild. And if yours are sports, I get it.
1: Yes. (laughs) And, you know, if nothing else, it comes down to. uh, Yes, I know I couldn't play the sport. Yes, I know that, uh, I know that I'm being totally irrational because every game is not that intense. And I also know that, uh, I, you know, it, it shouldn't matter to me because there's, you know, like 161 more games to go. So, but, but <laughs> somehow it does, you know, and, yeah. and just kind yeah. of bringing it back around, you know, it's.
2: Well, at least, you know, that's a, a relatively fun arena, pun intended, uh, you know, in which to be um, in which to be, uh, you know, sort of casting off the moral courage method. Right. It's when obviously our, um, our uh, runaway emotions impact Uh, those around us and the relationships we want with those around us, that it's not so much that we need to um, censor. Gosh, no. Actually, this method, the beauty of it is that you you liberate yourself to be expressive and yet you do it in a way that um, is positive uh, as an influence on others. And trust me when I say it will also be a positive influence on you. You know, I i for the first time in a year and a half, I saw my mom in person uh, earlier uh, this summer. And, you know, my mom is a very opinionated woman. And yes, I know the apple does not fall, fall far from the tree. That said, <laughs> I remember telling a number of friends, look, you know, when I'm back, don't expect me to be rejuvenated or refreshed, okay? I'm seeing my mother. I'm going to be exhausted. And the truth is I made an emotional pact with myself that I would follow the moral courage method during that visit, that when she triggered me or when she pushed my buttons, I would take that deep breath. <clears throat> I would, you know, find uh, something to say that we both uh, have and appreciate in common. I would then ask questions from a place of sincerity, not judgment. I would listen to understanding stand not to win. And I would ask her to tell me more. And can I tell you, Steve, I had probably the best vacation I've ever enjoyed in my life. I wanted it to last longer. And I have never felt that way visiting with family. But this time, and I assure you, it wasn't just because of the pandemic. um, I wanted it to go on. That's how relaxed I was. That's how much I loved it. And that's how much I loved her. Um, And I think she felt the same way. So once again, right, these are exercises, you know, that um, that will allow us to convey what is really in our hearts, including the love we feel, even when we're ticked off.
1: I love it. That's so awesome, because and that's kudos to you, because I can imagine it, you know, just to, to to be able to experience that by having um, that control over your own interactions and such that uh, you, you enjoyed it, that you didn't want to go. And that's so cool. That's and right. That's what,
2: right. And it felt really good, by the way, in the moment to know, wow, I'm actually exercising self-mastery. <laughs> like, really, right? Yeah. When people can do that, and this is key, when they're willing to try because I'm sure there'll be some listeners today who say, "Ah, oh, well, good for you, Earshot. There's no way I could do that. Have you tried? Have you? Have you tried again? Have you used these tips? Because the moment and we, we allow any of these tips, these five tips that I've given, the moment we turn any single one of them into a habit, the beauty is it becomes a no-brainer. A habit is a no-brainer. And that means the ego brain will no longer resist because that's just how you roll.
1: I, I love that. Oh my gosh, this is so powerful. And uh, you know, and what's great is that someone can learn from listening and, and engaging and, and putting it into practice as opposed to from experience where, yeah. you know, experience when you go through and you start <laughs> realizing this is more combative than I wanted this to be. And, right. and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, right. and just, uh, this, this, is so powerful. I, you know, and, and if nothing else being able to, 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 to tame whatever emotions that you have to say, okay, I'm going to try really hard to listen and we're going to have this conversation and use the advice you gave them because it's, it's so not only is it empowering, it's also, you're, you're probably going to end up making a little headway with their side of seeing you too. Cause
2: mm, that's exactly right.
1: Cause you, you did listen and they, you know, this sounds sound bad. I don't mean it to, but they may actually realize that, they were wrong because you actually did give them a chance to talk and now they don't know what to do. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. The beauty is that anybody who engages in this sincerely um, winds up being transformed. Um, And I don't mean to say that you will wind up changing your mind. Not at all. You might not. And that's fine because if on balance, having heard, you know, your other uh, and given them that fair hearing, you might say to yourself, you know what? I still think mine is the better position. Perfectly cool. The point is, however, that you have grown from that interaction. Number one, because now you really know why other people believe what they believe. And much more often than not, I know that, you know, we don't want to admit this, but much more often than not, we learn they may be wrong, but they're not stupid. They're not crazy. And they're not evil. Again, they may be wrong, but not for those reasons and to be able to dignify people, right. By actively, uh, you know, telegraphing that if you were stupid, crazy, or evil, I wouldn't be here engaging with you. So already, you know, that I respect you, right. To be able to telegraph that means that that respect is going to come back to you. At the end of the day, this method, you know, speaks to our enlightened self-interest it lifts others up too but if you don't care about that just know your self-interest will be served by this method as well
1: that is so awesome because it's just it's oh my gosh and to be able to learn how to do this so that you can learn how to get yourself your part under control is just
2: yeah and teach and not just learn how to do this but then to teach a new generation right. how to do this the reason i'm so passionate about teaching a new generation is when you look at you know the the uh really existential challenges that we are collectively facing today whether it's climate change and again i'm not interested in debating how we got here just the fact that It is getting hotter in a lot of parts of the world. And at the very least, the weather is getting weirder. Okay, so whether it is that issue, whether it is mass migration, whether it is the unintended consequences of artificial intelligence and automation, whether it is deepening socioeconomic disparities, all of these issues are highly emotional and. If this next generation that we're responsible for teaching, if they're replicating our mistakes, barking past one another, then they're not contributing to an enduring set of solutions. Sure, you can have temporary solutions. My side is in power. We're gonna lord it over your side. And when their side is in power, they're gonna take revenge and they're gonna lord it over my side. You can see that not only Is there no endurance to any solution in that case? It means that we just get stuck in this hamster wheel of dogma, right? This is why it is vital that we teach a new generation to communicate across disagreement, division, and even disgust. Without that, there simply is no way of moving the needle on any of the things that, you know, require attention.
1: I love it. I love it so much. I, I, I got to get you to, to tell if people wanted to connect with you or learn more, mm-hmm. where would you send them? Where where you want them to go? Well,
2: I, I will uh, send them to um, the website of moral courage ed. So once again, that's moral courage uh, dash org. And uh, we have the you know, contact us uh, button there. We've got offerings um, and and we've got so many free and compelling resources on the site that even if you never reach out, uh, please, you know, take advantage of uh, of all of the tools that we're offering you on the site.
1: Awesome. And I'll put links to uh, all those links there so they can find you on the on the web, which would be good stuff there. Be easy to find. And uh, by the way, I do have to say this. This is really cool. You have the you mentioned the resources page. And one of the things that's really cool there is that they can choose how it shows the stuff that's there, yeah. like video yeah. or a, yep. a page to read. I thought that was awesome by the way. Yeah, I just said we
2: actually have filters so that if all you want is video, because maybe you know you're um you're on the subway and uh, that's what you can, you know, um uh watch uh, you can actually click on the video filter and the only thing um, the only resources that will come up are the videos. Same with audios, uh, audio clips or and podcasts. If you're out for a run and you want to listen to a really cool podcast, come to the resources page. Click on audio uh, under resources and up will come various clips and podcasts. And finally, if you're in the mood to read, we've got some awesome materials, not just to read but then subsequently to share with your colleagues and even with your students.
1: And it's so cool, because I I wasn't expecting that. When you go there and it says, choose which format you want, and I was like, really? And then I realized, oh, that's cool. That's that's so neat stuff. I had to make sure I said something about that. I got to I gotta ask you one question um, that has nothing to do with anything that we've been talking about, but it's something I like to ask my guests. And uh, Irshad, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
2: Steve, um, that question has everything to do with what we're talking about because it was from my teachers. I'm going to name two of them from my teachers um, that I learned the value of um, mutual respect. You see, I grew up in a very violent household. And uh, so home was not my safe place. School was my safe place. And at school, I had two teachers. Uh, One was a vice principal, Mr. Biersto, and the other was my drama teacher, Mr. Martins. And um, as student body president, I would have to negotiate really sensitive issues with Mr. Biersto, my vice president, excuse me, vice principal. And, um, you know, the students were counting on me for the win. Well, Mr. Bierstow not only listened, but he actually acknowledged when I made a good point. And that is something I didn't expect from adults. Uh, Mr. Martin's became a uh, in many ways, my father figure. Now, I don't mean that to sound creepy, but he was there as a role model of of what, uh, what decent masculinity looks like. And without him, I don't know that I would have made it through my junior high school years. Incidentally, Steve, each of these men was and is an evangelical Christian. And the reason I bring that up is I'm Muslim. They're Christians. It just goes to show that those who say they can never understand my experience as a little Muslim girl in a largely Christian society are wrong. Not only did they understand my experience, they empathized with it, and they helped me develop the confidence to move through it with dignity. So, uh, in so many ways, Mr. Biersto and Mr. Martens um, shaped the, um, the adult, the individual, and the educator I've become. And to both of them, I say, may God forever bless you.
0: Thank you to our Ed Curation audience. We're excited to have introduced you to Steve Maletto and the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast. You'll find all of Steve's contact links in the episode notes. Keep an eye out for another introductory bonus episode next month here at the Ed Curation podcast.